0: to episode 39 of the do care podcast
1: we're a couple of queerdos who care a lot this podcast goes over the intersections of ecofeminism queer topics and artistry my name is mary mcgee pronouns she they
0: and i'm your other co-host georgie corkery and my pronouns are also she they Today we will be discussing the Great Salt Lake Vigil. Our guest today is Nan Seymour. We're excited to have Nan on today because Nan is a poet and an activist and has done a lot of work around Great Salt Lake. Nan is an unabashedly queer descendant of Utah pioneers and is deeply smitten with life in all forms, including shrub, oak, forests, vultures, and wild violets. I pulled that tidbit from her book of poetry titled Prayers Not Meant for Heaven that Nan very generously gave a copy to Mary and myself. Additionally, Nan is the founder of the River Riding Collaborative, which we'll talk about along with the Great Salt Lake Vigil, which she started in 2022. Both topics I'm so excited to talk about today.
2: Nan, would you like to take a moment to introduce yourself? Yeah, sure. I'm Nan, and I use pronouns she, her. Hi, so great to meet you We're really glad to be here <laughs> Yeah, I'm so excited to have you on You've Thanks. been
0: on the list for a while mm, And nice. um, as we've established before we started recording I've seen you around and you've been in my bubble mm, so, great. Just because Great Salt Lake's been in my bubble <laughs> Great Salt Lake is
2: right in the center of the bubble. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it turns as it turns out. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it's fun to actually be on the floor here with you. Yeah. And was it Christy
0: Bills who did the Firefly episode? Yeah, Christy. She's the one who recommended mm-hmm. you come on. To the movie. I love Christy so, so mm, much. Yeah, mm. so go listen to that one. Fireflies yeah,
2: in Utah. Definitely it's awesome.
0: recommend.
1: Oh, what a treasure of a human.
0: Mm. We care. We care a lot. All three of us, I'm sure, care yeah. about a lot of things. Nan, what is something that you care about. Mm. What's something that you've been thinking about?
2: Well, I'm thinking a lot about birds because I just have been gone and I came home yesterday to this little wild scene that is my front yard that has probably six or seven species of birds regularly coming going and um you i'm just so glad bird- to see them again wow. <laughs> yeah you must have bird feeders then you know i, I scatter seed so nice. yeah like kind of a very casual bird feeding scene <laughs> <laughs> i love
3: it
0: mary what's something that you do care about right now um i care a lot about access
1: to clean drinking water mm. Mm. And it, I care, and it's a big stressor of mine. Yeah. It's a big future anxiety of mine. Mm, yeah. Fair enough. Yeah.
0: yeah. I care a lot about reproductive rights and abortion as healthcare. I listened to something recently, and I was just crying, mm-hmm. thinking about how hard this has been for people who can get pregnant around the country. Mm. So it's that's been weighing on my heart, but... Mm-hmm. I think that's a nice segue to go into our happy little icebreakers that are silly. Um, So the first thing we do is we talk about cats that we've seen or interacted with recently. I started this back when I started the podcast when it was long hair. do care because seeing cats, they're like cute things. You like look up pictures and it floods you with serotonin and it makes you happy. So us talking about cats and hopefully the people listening, um, they're also getting flooded with a little bit of serotonin. Tone in. That's nice.
2: <laughs> That's a good reason. Yeah. Silly <laughs> and I like cats.
1: <laughs> I can start. Yeah. yeah. Shout out to my own personal cat. Her full name is Milady Jacqueline Hyde. <laughs> I call her May for short. And she is just the most precious, beautiful gray, medium haired cat. So soft and so cold. So she's just been <laughs> snuggling up with me every second of the day. Oh, like. Temperature cold. She's cold. Like, her body is... She's just... It's winter, so she's cold right now. But mm. you were
0: saying, like, her heart is cold. <laughs> <laughs> she's turned away so.
1: from me. <laughs> I wouldn't say she's just those warm-hearted of creatures. There's a reason she's named Jacqueline Hyde.
3: <laughs>
1: <laughs> but uh, I will just... I'll be at my little desk job, and I'll look down at this furry little creature just purring away. It's it's, it's delightful, and I have this little cat bed right underneath my desk, and she snores so loud.
0: So I'll just Mm -hmm. be working like (laughs) I think we actually have it recorded on the episode where we introduce you as the new co-host. So go listen to Jacqueline Hyde snoring.
2: (laughs) It's out there. It's available for all. (laughs) It's um... accessible on Spotify. Uh, (laughs) Have you seen any cats, man? I saw a cat today anticipating this question, actually. (laughs) I I have a lot of cats in my neighborhood, but I was like, this needs to be kind of a special sighting to bring to you all, because obviously you do care about that. (laughs) And so my friend Chloe, who I visit often, usually her beautiful little cat, black and white, green-eyed cat, does not come out very shy. Mm -hmm. But I was stopping by Chloe's, and Ivy is this cat's name, peeked around the corner, and I thought, that's this is for you, Ivy. So this is a shout-out to Ivy, who I think (laughs) wanted to be recognized for the first time I've ever seen Ivy in her Natural habitat, I guess, which is Chloe's apartment.
0: (laughs) Well, Ivy, you sound very
2: cute. (laughs) Ivy is (laughs) legit cute and also kind of a badass kind of cat. Nice. Yeah.
0: Well, I haven't been seeing many cats recently, which makes me really sad, but there's one cat named Sushka and her human is Misha, so shout out to the both of you. Sushka is very vocal, mm. and she's always happy to see me. And because she's my only outlet for animals right now that I interact with, <laughs> I just spend a lot of time petting her, and she's she goes nuts about it. It's great. <laughs> it's a good relationship. Nice. Our second icebreaker question is, what wildlife have you seen recently? And Nan, I think you understand this. But the reason why we bring the idea of wildlife in is because even though we live in cities or suburbia, wildlife is around us and we're part of the environment and we're making up the environment and seeing the birds. I mean, I'm a birder and that's what made me think of this prompt. We're connected to our environment and we're not
2: separate. So what wildlife have you seen? Well, I love that intro. We're not separate. We're not separate at all. And so this interest in bridging this perceived gap between humans and the rest of the world is something i'm really interested in and it's hard for me to narrow down wildlife because i'm always paying attention and yeah. I, I was like oh which will i bring raccoons <laughs> live um on my block and i think that my roof is a raccoon road mm. not necessarily where they're living just throw just, away. all my a away. <laughs> And we sleep in the attic, so definitely every night the running of raccoons, like being underneath the sound of running raccoons is a big part of my wild experience love right that. now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I love that too, actually. <laughs> and every once in a while there is a skylight right above me. Every once in a while I'll get like a little, little of the face or recently just the two ears, oh. like the pointy ears and like the scratching like they were kind of going for. An entry through the, I did knock on the window for that one. I was like, hey, love being close <laughs> yeah. neighbors. I Don't really want you dropping on my face. Yeah, I don't <laughs> want to be quite, too intimate, but yeah, yeah, they're a big part of the life. There's a lot of wildlife around even my little yard. <laughs> and you, you said you're of seven species of birds. Yeah, just as regular visitors, but probably if I was really counting bird species, I'm sure I could easily within a week get to 20, 25 <sighs> Yeah. Yeah.
0: I'm sure you see my favorite bird, I guess my spark bird, the black capped
2: chickadee. And I'm sure oh, you see that. Oh, love. Yeah. That's yeah. a favorite. They definitely frequent yeah. the yard. Yeah. They're yeah. so cute. They are adorable. Mm-hmm. Like, truly. And then
0: in the winter, to stay warm, you know, they puff their feathers up, yeah. so they just look like little fuzzballs. I love them so much.
2: Yeah. I'm totally with you on that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, whole segue into my wildlife, which is just birds. Um, mostly because we recorded pretty recently, so between then and now, I don't have a bunch of new stuff. But I did go to the Tracy Aviary with my dad for his birthday. Um, There's the light walk. We actually surprised him with a bunch of friends, which, it just, it was so fun. We saw owls, which was the most exciting part for, I think, everyone. And then a toucan, but, um... Awesome. And I guess I don't know if that's quite wildlife, but they're they're wild. They're not domestic animals. Yeah, they're and,
2: just in captivity. Yeah. And I, I really love the aviary. The aviary is awesome. Yeah. And also the Jordan River Nature Center. Just want to shout out to that if people don't know about it, any listener. It's such a great place to visit. And yeah. You can really get a river experience, birding experience, friendliest stuff. Yeah. That's good to know. Yeah.
0: They also they have a ton of opportunities for volunteering. So if you want to get involved with birding or bird identifications through, this is a little sad, but bird identification through Birds that have collided into windows. Oh wow! Uh, they go out in the morning and they pick them up, and that's a really good way to learn how to identify birds. But that project is also really critical because it tell like we can go and be like, it's hey, count. your building is causing X oh, amount right. of deaths, mm. and here's wow. the solution. So it's a really mm. cool project that's happening, mm-hmm. and it's really important data to be collecting. Yeah, oh. aviary
1: rocks. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> I also have a bird mention. Uh, there's this family of magpies who lives in this tree right outside my house and I'm trying to befriend them. So I've set out this shiny little dish and every so often I put like, little nuts in there and I'm collecting little shiny strings and stuff that way I can give them presents. Yeah. <laughs> um, That's like, adorable. Like a little, I don't know, bird Hanukkah. Like oh. <laughs> you get a present every day. Um... <laughs> Yeah, they're delightful. Sometimes they come and shout at my cats, which is fun. Yeah. Magpies are bold. Yeah. yeah. They're yeah, bold. Yeah, they are. That's fun. Yeah, I had a friend once who wanted to like <laughs> she was moving and she wanted the family of magpies to, to move with her. Oh.
3: Like, no, she does, I can worked.
1: train them and they'll recognize my face. <laughs> no. <laughs> You're like, they they that's will just a fantasy novel. Not follow you. Absolutely. That's also a little anthrop-
2: uh, anthropocentric. I guess
3: it's
2: like a little bit, just they're, off They're of going to be fine yeah, without yeah, you. Yeah, they are. You by. are not the center of the Spirits <laughs> universe. So.
0: Yeah, now I'm just thinking about how smart corvids are, or, you know, how similar their smarts are to Hours there's lots of different smarts
2: for birds. Mm-hmm. I'm very interested in corvid smarts. That's yeah. something I've paid attention to for a long time. And when you say corvid time. smarts, that's the kind of bird. And it's I'm a family like a of crow, ravens, crows, magpies. Like ones? are corvids? They have a lot of language. They have mm-hmm. a lot of problem-solving skills. They use tools.
0: One really interesting book that you might be interested in is The Genius of Birds by Jennifer Ackerman. Mm. And it's so... Good, and it talks about how, yes, there is this intelligence that we assign to corvids because they use tools. We use tools. Their intelligence, their genius is like ours, but other birds are genius in other ways that we can barely understand.
2: It's such a cool book. I'd love to read that book. Yeah. It's been recommended to me before, so thanks for recommending it again because it's definitely needs to go back up. Yeah, and I'll add it in the
0: show notes for folks to check out. But our last icebreaker, speaking of books, is what we call conscious content consumption. And we do it because content is coming at us all the time from every direction, whether it's social media or I say billboards because they are everywhere. And sometimes they have true. weird messages that I'm oh. sure are influencing people in certain <laughs> yeah. ways. And books and the movies we grow up with. And I think the movies that I grew up with really shaped me in a bad way, telling me that I had to be a certain way and Mm -hmm. that women were treated a certain way. And to be a woman, I had to do this. And that I was a woman and that's the only thing I could be. Um, So thinking about that and thinking about content that teaches us good things and validates the human experience conscious content consumption yeah. that's the the final <laughs> I guess icebreaker I don't know if it's quite an icebreaker but Mary do you want to start I do yes yeah, so for
1: my conscious content I'd like to chat about a play I recently found out about it's called la fracture it's from Algerian French artist Yasmine Yeratien. it's a one-person show in it she's dealing with intergenerational trauma discussions her family is from Algeria and you know after France colonized that they moved to France as a lot of colonized people end up doing they instantly ingratiated themselves in the culture didn't teach her any Algerian didn't teach her any Arabic and so she talks about how she's fluent in French and she didn't know she wasn't white until later in life and, and the only thing tying her to her culture and her heritage is her face and her name hmm. and and she just doesn't have this connection to her culture and her heritage and, and what we pass on to our children and what's lost in the struggle of colonization. She deals a lot with those big, big subjects of of heritage lost throughout the years of people destroying her culture, but also like what we pass along like between our parents. So she deals a lot with like her father's alcoholism. Um, so this play specifically deals with her relationship with her father. And she has other stolen culture plays that she's developing about her mother's side of the family as well. I just thought that was a beautiful concept, dealing with intergenerational yeah. trauma. I just have been reading a lot of subject about that recently. I know Celeste Ng, who you might know, author of Little Fires Everywhere. She just came out with a new one, Our Missing Hearts. A lot of her mm-hmm. themes focus on, because she, her parents, I think grew up in Hong Kong,
0: I want to say? I'm sorry, this is the same person who does the play?
1: Nope, no, this is a different artist now. Okay. There's just a lot of artists who deal with... What they can give, like not relating to their own heritage because it's been stolen from them in some way. Mm. And now that they have children or now that they're navigating the world, they don't have this connection to their culture. And so how they can move through the world without with this this disconnect.
0: And I'm sure that's a story a lot of people can relate to. Yeah, yeah. Say the name of the play again, and where can people see it? Where is it on? Yeah, you probably can't see it. It's...
1: um... (laughs) (laughs) As it's a play, you might be able to find a streaming service. That's why I also wanted to supplement this with some books. If you wanted to yeah. explore these themes, it's being performed in France, I believe. Oh, um, Limited run, actually. Yes. Yeah, so That makes sense for it to be in France. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we can link a description of that. Some other books that deal with this theme, I'd say, are Little Fires Everywhere. It really deals with the theme of what we as mothers from different cultures can give to our children. And also, I just read a book, Crying in H Mart. It deals a lot with this topic. Oh
0: my gosh, I almost read that it's on my beautiful.
1: list. It's beautiful, and and dealing with food and culture and our relationship with our parents and, and how, if we can't relate to our culture, how we move through the world. It's on my Libby. Mm. And, I, <laughs> and, and, that <laughs> and that book's fun to. because the author is the lead singer and guitarist of Japanese
2: Breakfast. That's super cool. Yeah.
0: Huh. Yeah, awesome. Well, Nan,
2: what do you have to share with us? I brought it for show and tell because I love this book so much. So this is Bloodtide, a new holiday in homage to Horseshoe Crabs by Eli Nixon. Well, Eli came out and actually taught us cardboard transformation. And Eli's located in Rhode Island, but um, their book and their work was recommended to me by Terry Tempest Williams. So I paid attention when Terry recommended someone, you- someone with such gusto. Do you hang out with Terry Titus Williams? Oh, on a very rare occasion oh that she did come. Her and her husband Brooke came to the vigil. and They actually spent a whole night at the vigil last winter, which was very special. Oh, that's so cool. I know. It's hard to not be a little fangirly about it. I am still I'm I'm 57. I'm trying so hard right now not to. <laughs> but she's am. so true. She's been a very generous friend of the vigil. And when she was out there, so it was on Antelope Island, and she was like, you must work with Eli Nixon. And I hadn't heard of Eli but, you know, I was like, okay, I must work with Eli. Nix. And then, <laughs> Terry was right. And I, I could go on probably too long about this, but I, I partly brought it because I wanted to show you like how it's illustrated. Yeah. And Eli yeah. did all of their own illustrations. Like it's just the whole thing is so engaging and has these awesome notes in the back. But what it really is, is it's a menu. So their interest was horseshoe crabs and what was going on with horseshoe crabs has really been horrific. Um, although some things are starting to change. And so they're like holding up this species and saying, look, this species deserves a holiday. And it doesn't matter what day you do it, you can boot a holiday you don't like off the calendar. There's so many, (laughs) and then, you know, there's some obvious choices. You're like, you could replace Columbus Day (laughs) with, with a horseshoe crab holiday. And so what they're really doing is they have like a menu of 10, it's 11 different ways to celebrate. And they're like, here, create your own holiday. And here are some ideas about how to do it. One is nature drag. One is Cardboard transformation. They're, they're mostly really fun ideas like feasting, parades. One is uh, reparative returns. And so that is a really serious idea, but it's offered in a very like friendly and smart way so that almost anyone, maybe it's a new idea, like land back kind of idea that you are unfamiliar with. But this gives, I think, a very smart entry point to that conversation. Everything about this is brilliant, but coming in like a side door. I learned more from this book than any book I can think of recently. I wow. really learned a lot. And then even more when Eli came out to teach and they are a professionally trained clown. That's one of their many things they're pulling on. And so they, they there's an adorable description in here where they describe themselves as, Oh, here's a picture of them in their horseshoe crab. <gasps> See, that's what yeah. like, this is cardboard but, transformation. And okay. they're like, it's not just a costume. It's like you're really becoming the horseshoe crab, which, Ties into something that we'll probably talk about here soon
0: with brine shrimp. But. Yeah, exactly. There's <laughs> a very
2: direct relationship. But anyway, like I could go on and on, obviously. But I just it's like fun to read. But it's more important than that. I can't imagine someone who wouldn't learn something yeah. pretty profound and and immensely helpful. For the time that we're in. And this gap that you referenced between yeah. humans and the rest of the world. This is like medicine for those oh, things. Um, so. And will you read the full title? Yeah. So it's Blood Tide: A New Holiday in Homage to Horseshoe Crabs. By Eli, Eli Nixon. Nixon. The press is a small press called The Third Thing. And so you can buy it directly from the press. I don't think there's a place in town to get it, so I've just ordered
0: This book is available in Salt Lake City if that's where you live, and you can get it at Under the Umbrella Bookstore, which is located downtown. But you have to order it ahead of time because they don't keep it in stock at the bookstore. I found out the hard way (laughs) because I went there um, in hopes of buying it. So order it before time and you can order it to the bookstore, which means you could go visit. My favorite queer bookstore, or you can just have an order to your house, and of course, you can buy it from the third thing, which is the independent publisher that published this book. I think those are two excellent options, and again, the book is called Blood Tide: A New Holiday in Homage to Horseshoe Crabs by Eli Nixon. Now back to Nan.
2: I really recommend this to anybody, and also just maybe I'll just thank Eli for coming out. Utah Humanities brought Eli out to do this work with us, and so they really put some ground under our feet coming into this vigil season. Like offered a a whole dimension that didn't that that the vigil really needed. I think so. Well, that sounds like a really great segue.
0: Yeah. Great segue into the Great Salt Lake Vigil. And Mary, I'll let you kick off the question asking.
1: Yeah. What is the Great Salt Lake Vigil? How long have you been doing it? What is it?
2: Great question. So um, this upcoming, it takes place during the legislative session. So winter starting this year, January 16th to March 1st, that's a six-week, seven-week session. But the lake the lake created this, and it keeps evolving. This upcoming season is the third one.
1: So maybe let's back it up. And for those of us who are unaware, what's going on with the lake?
2: Okay, that's an important, yeah. uh, essential thing to know about this. Great Salt Lake is in peril, is the way I usually say it. Due to human diversion, primarily, this is also a time of epic drought. There are other factors, but the main factor is diversion, damming, dredging, all those activities. The main influence there is agriculture and the way we use agricultural water. It's not wrong to farm, obviously, but the, mm-hmm. the uses, a lot of, of water is being used to grow alfalfa. A lot of that alfalfa is shipped out of state, out of country. And that's not, that's not a local plant, right? I know actually
0: know about alfalfa it's not endemic and i wouldn't say it's a native plant to hear but there's reasons why folks grow it and i actually talked with jamie butler on a different podcast episode all about it so if anybody's really interested they can deep dive there but yeah, it uses a ton of water and they can grow three different harvests in one year. Right. And because it's so water intensive, it kind of feels like we're flushing all of our water down the drain because we grow it, we dry it out, and then we ship it to other places. So it's kind of like we're shipping our water somewhere else instead mm. of allowing it to flow to Great Salt Lake and if you don't mind me oh, this is jumping great. in. Totally. Great Salt Lake is a terminal lake. So that means that it has inflows, but it has no outflows. The only outflow is evaporation. And because of that, everything is being deposited there. So you have a lot of these fine sediments and heavy metals. There, There's lead in there. There's uh, mercury. There's a few other things in there that we really don't want to be breathing in. And because it's such a shallow lake... As it dries up, a lot of the lake bed is exposed. And again, this is really really fine lake bed sediment. And once the wind blows and it's exposed, it'll come into our valley and uh, it makes our air quality worse. Which, if anybody knows anything about Salt Lake in northern Utah, is that we have bad air quality. And um, it affects people who are on the west side more than other folks, which is an environmental justice issue. But along with that, we have 7 to 10 million birds who visit Great Salt Lake every year, and this habitat is shrinking. And so those populations are shrinking, and I actually... There was another past episode recently with Amy Van Tatenhove, Mm -hmm. who maybe you know. I know, uh, but I don't know her personally. She thinks you're great. so (laughs) She was so excited to have you come on the podcast That's thinking about art and Great Salt Lake. So if you want to hear more about birds and their population not doing so well because of this shrinking lake, that's the issue. And that's why it's in peril. So...
1: During the legislative season. Yes.
2: So, maybe just to loop back into that, everything you just explained was unknown to me, even though I lived here, grew up here, care, cared about birds tremendously, and spent time going to Farmington Bay specifically to watch birds. I think I had the same perception a lot of people had, which is oh, the lake ebbs and flows, and yeah, the water's further away, but it's going to come back. I really didn't have an awareness of what was going on three years. It was about three years ago now. Is that right? Then there was a Radio West program with Dr. Bonnie Baxter from, do you, do you know exactly the program? Yeah, I get to Salt see Lake. it right now. Yeah, it's <laughs> amazing. It would be great to link it in yeah. the show. Um, some friends who had actually left Salt Lake for environmental reasons, I was visiting them in Wyoming and they very gently said to me, have you heard the Radio West program about Great Salt Lake? And I hadn't. And they said, well, we think you should listen to it. And they were so gentle. I felt scared actually I think, because they're very kind people, but I was like, Oh, there, there was something about that, that I, I knew it was a threshold. And I knew that when I would listen, when I listened, it would change things. I had no idea how much I actually drove out to the lake to listen to it. It was out there by Saltaire and um, mm. listened out there. And, and Dr. Bonnie Baxter is someone I respect with all of my heart and her Clarity, her her way of explaining things, not only explained the threat of the dust that you just described, but the actual everything I think it just made it plain everything that could be lost and how quickly we are losing it. And I really didn't have any idea. And I think in that show, although he's done many follow-ups, that Doug Fabrizio was also really taking it in for the first time. Because yeah. what's remarkable about that show is not just what Bonnie says, but the silences as like Doug's listening, like he goes quiet and that's not typical of him. If you know, he's wonderful, what he does, but he's not like a person who falls quiet very often. Anyway, when I heard that, I was like, I don't know. It just changed everything for me. It became clear that that had to be my point of focus that there was like all the I've been writing about what you might loosely call environmental concerns of it really life for the sake of life is a topic that I write about a lot. And I care about the feelings of trees and the lives of birds and I care about permaculture and all of those things. And they show up in that first book, but I was like, Oh, this is, this is too big to look anywhere else. And I started writing obsessively. I have a teacher named Dina Metzger, who's really worth mentioning. She is an 85 year old, maybe 87 now (laughs) year old woman who lives in Topanga, California, who is a great teacher about earth ethics, and she had been teaching me, I would say, already to listen to life uh, in a way that I didn't, I think actually we're all born knowing how to do, like that I knew how to do this when I was young, but you lose it, kind of like capitalism bullies it out of you. Anyway, I think because I was studying with Dina, I started being open to dreams and the like. started giving me information at night like and sometimes it would be words and some poems even came that way but i got a very clear invitation to stay with me from wolf moon to snow moon was how it came and that was very interesting to me because it was in the night and now i'm a person who knows when the moons are and what their names are mm-hmm. and at the time i really wasn't right, so it was sounds like those words just came yeah from that wolf, wolf Moon and snow, snow moon. moon and i was like what is that so i get up and google it right And the dates that year, the first date, and then was the opening day of the legislative session, right? You know, and I'm like, okay, so I need to keep vigil. This idea of keeping vigil, Mm -hmm. meaning just staying with, just like you would, you have a loved one in the hospital, you stay in their room. Yeah. You might not be an expert in anything, and I'm not an expert in anything, but I'm a person who's willing to stay with. And so that invitation was like, okay. I knew that I was being called to the lake shore and I knew it somehow had to do with camping there. And then the that moon period is essentially a four week period and I felt like I had to say yes to it and I said yes to it in my heart and then I asked the one person I knew who owned a camper if I could borrow it. I didn't mm-hmm. even we're very good friends now but we I didn't know her that well then. <laughs> and I, you know and she was actually in Antarctica and I sent her uh, <laughs> I, was, I don't normally ask for people's most Expensive thing, right? <laughs> but she's the only person I knew out of Canberra at the time. And I, so I sent her this email, and something in the and was like, bold ask. But you've never spoken to me. Canberra. And <laughs> but I explained, you know, like it was for the lake. And and I thought, you know, this is all during COVID. And I was like, I won't hear back from her in Antarctica. She wrote back within 10 minutes. And it was unequivocal, yes. And that's when I knew it was on. I was like, that yes was such a holy yes. And I was like, okay, this is happening. And at the time, now there's campsites that clearly have like electrical and water you could hook up. But I didn't even know if we would, the park didn't have electricity. I was like, well. uh, What park were you at? Oh, this is Antelope Island State Park. Right. So I talked to the rangers and kind of got it set up. So we had a place and I was thinking that we were going to camp, that I would camp without any electricity. And I was preparing for that. To the best of my ability, you can see me, like your listeners can see me. I'm, but I'm not like a hardcore young winter camper.
3: Like, I'm a 57-year-old person with Arthur like,
2: You know, so anyway, the day before I arrived that somehow miraculously the electrical was on, which I did really appreciate having lights and some heat it made a big difference. But yeah. basically the the vigil for the first two years was the same thing to stay throughout the legislative session. When I realized there was community support, then I knew we could stay the whole session if it wasn't just me as the only person on the shore. Yeah. And pretty quickly, the writers that I write with and people you know that I've been in community with artistically really showed up. And so we started calling writing circles. We did walks and water. Jamie Butler was one of the first people who was like, yes, I'm keeping vigil with you. And I didn't even know her. She was just like i I'll be your bitch. <laughs> Jamie, <laughs> like, okay, I think you you know Jamie, so you know like Jamie would say that. And that Jamie's is exactly how she awesome. said it. I really So like she her. was a very heartening early. Christie Bills was an early person who was all for the vigil. So you know some of the people and the quality. Yeah. Sarah Woodbury met at the lakeshore. She's just like, I'm here with a follow-up pad. I'm like, great, yep. let's do this. And it Sounds like Sarah. So yeah, right, so people <laughs> came, people, some people I knew, people I didn't know. I'm making this a little long, but over the course of the two years on Antelope Island, so this was really about coming to the side of this imperiled neighbor. Over a thousand people participated, wow. helped write this big collective poem called Irreplaceable that's going to get published soon, thanks to our poet laureate. And what a a
0: great poem! Right, I mean, and such a beautiful concept to have people write what they think about the lake and then piece it all together. It's
2: it It, blew me away when I read it. It blew me away too when it assembled itself. Because when I committed to it, I knew that the lake wanted it it, and that it also needed to be kind of anchored around the idea of praise. Although, of course, there's laments. But they're very personal witness poems. right? Yeah. So when I started it, I kind of, I committed to 1700 lines because that is a square mile area, a minimal square mile area of a restored lake bed, which is now right about eight to 900, depending. So I was like, well, the number needs to mean something. So I committed to the 1700 lines publicly. And I was like, I might be <laughs> writing most of these myself. Like I knew some people would bring lines, but so many people I'd never met brought lines. It's over twenty five hundred lines now. When I first heard of the concept, I
0: was like, poof.
2: <laughs>
0: That's gonna be really
2: bad. <laughs> the quality is really amazing. Yeah. Like I am also amazed. I've been back in the text and rereading everything, preparing it for publication. I'm like, this is it's amazing. It's great. Yeah. It's really I think because it's so relational and so and vivid because people are giving you the specifics of their experience. Mm. Yeah. And so I love everything about it because it's a witness of relationship. It's a witness of specific qualities of Great Salt Lake that exists nowhere else on earth. And it all like shines through from all these different directions that people are bringing it from. So people of all ages in that, many cultures represented, there's like five different languages. It's a really beautiful tapestry of work. And so I ended up, when I was preparing it for publication taking most of my own poems out because they, they're not even necessary. Oh, like yeah. so much came and I'm, I have another manuscript for those poems. But I, anyway, it's a beautiful community effort. Yeah. So the first two years, that was a vigil. Sometime during the second year, I knew there would be a third vigil and I knew it would be different. Somehow that became clear to me so in the middle of that epic winter out there on the island and Mm -hmm. snowing and snowing, which was of course a huge gift. So we're coming into this different vigil, which clearly after two years of bringing people to the lake, I think that this was really the lake's direction to bring the lake to the people, making the species, our love for the lake visible. So it's actually happening. The whole vigil is happening at the Capitol. There are some events on the island on weekends, some walks and some riding circles, But Monday through Friday, every day that the legislators are meeting, we'll be there in the morning, we'll be there in the evening for an hour, both times. Morning, we're silently walking the waves. We have these beautiful, huge, sun-printed waves, blue and white. They're made with lake water, river water, oolitic sand, plant material. So they're already a collaboration with the elements and specifically of this bioregion. Can
0: I ask a question about that? Yeah. I know Sarah Woodbury is involved in a lot of Art making, and I know she helped make some puppets that maybe will be used but also have been used in the past. Yeah. Whether they were, I think there was a rope and other water birds, but did Sarah Woodbury work with those waves? Was she has those?
2: been at the art builds and definitely been a helper, but I'll, I'll shout out to two other people who. Sarah Woodbury, though, I will always give credit for being the first person I ever saw wearing a follow-up head, and she's beautiful. And she does a dance and a poem wearing that, and it's very profound and very specific and beautiful. And I don't, I don't know if she helped make that or had a, a friend make it. Yeah. But, so it's, you know, she'll show up with that, and it's awesome every time she does. But the, actually, the art team, so we have a little art team. There's three of us, and we call this team Making Waves for Great Salt Lake. Mm-hmm. And Therese Berry is the originator of a lot of the puppets, so we have a specific Avocet puppet. We have an eared grebe, we have a brine shrimp and a brine fly that we made with all ages and different art builds, and those are all kind of smaller scale puppets. But yeah. the birds go on sticks, and they're fantastic. Those are all great. They're beautiful. Are they? They're really beautiful. And then Sarah May is an artist and poet. Uh, she's part of Plumis Collectiva, this amazing group of poets, all A poets. So Sarah, she's the one who brought cyanotypes into the picture. She's also capable of many forms of art, but she's really been our leader in making these great big waves. So Mm -hmm. we have five. Well, by the time the vigil starts, we'll have seven waves. We'll have all the rivers that are tributaries represented by different waves. They're like 25 feet long. So you can imagine how people carrying them really, it wraps around the Mm Capitol. It's like a very visible engulfing the Capitol with love for Great Salt Lake. We'll walk those in the morning silently from eight to nine and then when we get to the west facing where we can actually see or at least feel the lake depending on the air quality (laughs) we'll sing we'll sing to the lake the lake loves to be sung to when we sing she sings back there's always some element of that that's the morning so the morning's kind of a the vibe of the morning i would say is meditative it's reverent even that in the evening, five to six, meant more for students and also people who want to be lively. We'll bring on these 20 life-size brine shrimp. You can be in That <laughs> you
3: know,
2: sounds sort of like the Eli inspired and helped, right? And Sarah Woodbury, Sarah May, Therese Berry, and many other people were all part of the building. These are all built already. And then we have two different flocks on taller sticks, and they're kind of oversized Red-winged blackbirds, both male and female, they're very accurate and beautiful. Frances, I forgot Frances' last name, but she works with Tracy Aviary. She designed the first blackbirds. She did the oh. templates, and she's an amazing poet and artist. She painted the first ones, and then we just like went from there, and a whole bunch of different people painted them. There's more than 20 of those, and there are two kinds of seagulls. We have big flocks of seagulls. And then there are some other very specific bird species that will finish up this weekend actually. So you will see phalaropes, you'll see clovers, avocets. Avocets for sure. There's a tundra swan, there's a bison. <gasps> Yeah. Wow. I right. love bison. like a person, oh like it's a, God. it's like a bison wow, bison. wow. 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 Maybe wow. a young bison. And we might stagger how we bring those species out. But anyway, all the species will come out to play in the evenings, mm-hmm. depending on how many people show, which, you know, I've never done this. It's a very wild thing to try. Yeah. So, you know, I hope listeners will come. Like, there's a brine shrimp waiting for you. There's a wave <laughs> waiting for you. Yeah. So,
1: like, how, how would people just show up?
2: So, ideally, what they would do is follow the link that you're going to put with this and they will actually sign up because that will help us be in better communication with folks. But honestly, if you just come, keep in mind it's outdoors. We have a a path that is ADA friendly, but it depends on weather, how friendly it is to anyone. So we'll change the path if we need to. But our intention is to walk around the Capitol. In the mornings, we walk counterclockwise to call in the ancestors and also remember another way of being with water and... It's like winding the clock back, mm-hmm. and then in the evening we'll go clockwise to call in Bring the health of future beings, in. and also to move towards replenishment, that that restoration. So
1: pagan, like witchy.
2: <laughs> There's some witchiness to it. Like, <laughs> I mean, I won't, I won't pretend I'm not trying to cast a spell. I definitely. <laughs> well, I have
0: good news and I have bad news. Okay. The bad news is this might not come out in time, but the good news is. We can post about it. Okay. And also, I know so many people that are super excited about this. Good. And that might just be because I'm enmeshed in the Audubon Society yeah. and the Great Salt Lake cohort and everybody right. who's doing palsy right, advocacy, right. but... I know a lot of people are super excited I'm about this. Very glad and I hear that. I'm really sad because I'll be up in Logan on the weekends. I can come down, but I really wanted to be at the Capitol, totally walking
2: around. There is a good news for you, then. Hopefully, it becomes one. Sarah is planning a weekly. Um, migration. Yes. I think <laughs> like <laughs> carpool migration from Logan. So there might be something you can connect into mm-hmm. that would get you there for an evening. I think it would be the evening hour. Yeah. I know I- it's a little far from Logan, but I really want Bear River to, uh, Bear River people obviously are amazing. And, and it's part of like the idea, part of what we're hoping to do. And I'm sure you know why you'll get this entirely, but it's like connecting the watershed in people's minds. Like this is not just a lake that's in trouble. It's the whole area. <laughs> like this yeah. whole watershed is one system. Well, it's the right? whole
0: hemisphere, right. all the animals that all visit from that. it from across the western well, and, hemisphere. And also
1: people, I hear people just callously saying like, oh, we'll just move out of Utah.
2: You're still going to get that arsenic wave if you live anywhere. And also, this is interesting and worth saying. And really, it's I would say Ben Abbott is the person who's really helped me get this into my heart and mind. But it's every saline sea on the planet. So yeah, over 100 saline seas are in peril in the same way and of course that represents other troubles and we're we are going to run out of places to run and hide so clearly yeah that that mindset where they're like oh i'll just move
1: well sustainable practice yeah Yeah, pretty much we're all in a climate disaster (laughs) yeah Are there any specific goals for this particular vigil now that it's come to the Capitol?
2: I would say that the primary goal, there's really two things that matter the most to me. One is to make our collective love for the lake visible and not just for the lake, but for all the lives she sustains. So there's a conversation about the lake that's about, you know, oh no, we'll die of the dust. Yes, we will. That's true. And if that motivates you, go do the things, you know, go contact your lawmakers. Great. And it's not just us. So to make visible all this other life, and 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 I hope at the same time, helping people fall in love. I think when you come through the door of even one specific species, look at the detail on a red-winged blackbird, you care in a way. You do care, right? In a yeah. way that you didn't before you... Look, Even brine shrimp. I'm like, oh, do we care about those? Like, Why
1: why are those so important? And then there's like, I look at your puppets and they're so detailed and incredible. And <laughs> yeah. and these creatures have such an impact on ourselves. In yeah. Like we're not alone in wilderness. Like we are right. in communion with our neighbors. I want to
0: point out <laughs> behind me in a tree, I have a little brine shrimp ornament. And I don't oh. think you can actually see it,
2: <laughs> but they are beautiful. That's amazing and great.
0: And something that I was... Thinking about with your your poem is people love lakes and people love lake towns, right? Mm -hmm. And when you think of Great Salt Lake, it's none of that. And the way that people relate to it is through these certain species, these really beautiful, these really strange species. And I've brought this up before, and Mary knows that I'm going to say it, but I think Salt Lake is... I've I've argued that Great Salt Lake itself is super queer because it doesn't fit societal norm the cultural norm right. of a lake town but it gives so many people so many things and it really exists and influences all of our lives just like queer culture and queer human beings do yeah. and it's even on it's, one side it's it's blue, blue and pink and the other side it's <laughs> right. pink it's and our trans a baby white stripe in the middle <laughs> totally. like the trans flag totally
2: well quite often having spent so many sunsets out there i will say there's a specific trans flag sunset that happens yeah. quite often also over there it's gorgeous lake. i absolutely agree that the lake is queer in every great way we can mean that mm-hmm. and that idea and knowing that like the the endless vitality and possibility and creativity of great salt lake as an entity i didn't quite answer your question so i'll go back for the other part Making our love for the lake visible. But the other, this is really important. The other thing is just to actually be present for the lake. So it really is an offering mm. to the lake. This is this ritual, these this art, the presence is an offering. And it's more importantly for the lake. I hope it influences the lawmakers. Of course I do. Yeah. Um, but we're there for the lake. We're there to make the, our love for the lake visible, especially through this specific, the specific, right? Yeah.
1: This feels so... Inherently indigenous is the vibe I'm getting, like the offering to the lake, being there and being present. Yeah. It just feels deeply native.
2: I think the intelligence behind it could absolutely be described that way. There's a relational intelligence that some cultures have never lost,
3: mm-hmm.
2: but that relational intelligence with life, like understanding like the lake is a singing, sentient, intelligent entity... An ancestor, a creator of this world—that's just all real, yeah. Like that's that's, that's not a just story. real, that's like the, whatever you want land to call is it. Formed, and that's yeah. like how it is. And I think Indigenous cultures clearly are the leaders in in not having lost that knowing. So, are we trying to return to old ways of being? I hope so. Relationally mm-hmm. coherent ways of being where we don't put human. Economic growth is the top priority over everything, which is mm-hmm. obviously a ridiculous. Yeah.
0: not only going back destructive, but, but reconnecting and forming these new ways of knowing with the new stuff that we have and the like, the powers that we have to really revitalize. Cross my fingers. Yeah, this what, vital. Do we body. have powers
1: to like what? How could the lake be revitalized? What can we do?
0: You're talking actual actionable things. Yeah. Well, a lot of it is getting water to the lake. Um, Oh, man. I don't know how much I want to dive into policy right now. But thinking about incentivizing people to use less water is the main approach right now. But in 2020, as I'm sure some folks know, a lot of legislation was passed That was like, yay, we we care about the lake, and see, we've done it. And honestly, it was a baby step, and it was 20 years of work from environmental advocates building up to what was a baby step. And it was great, and we're so happy it happened, but so much more needs to happen. And a lot of that is preventing future diversions. So we don't want a plant coming to the lake that bottles water (sighs) because making those bottles uses a lot of water. Putting water in them right. uses a lot of water. Yeah. There's things like that. So yeah. that's the
2: policy set. Yeah. I have a few practical, actionable things. So I'll say them because I know I'm mostly talking about magic, <laughs> which I believe in
3: wholeheartedly. <laughs> so.
2: But I also, you know, I spent a lot of time on Zoom meetings. We know each other, yep. from, you know, <laughs> with policy wonks and, you know, I'm not <laughs> like I'm, that's I don't <laughs> care about this. I do care. And I keep saying I do care, and I feel like it's funny now. Oh, because yeah. I
3: think, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I,
2: think I would be saying that um, naturally. <laughs> um, okay. So, first of all, everyone should be in conversation with their lawmakers. And the key things to ask them are to be clear about their position on Bear River development, which there's no ethical Bear River development, but that's still happening. It is happening. And so it's wild. Yeah. So we need to ask, we need to really demand to know about that. And there will be legislation this year, a defined lake level goal. 4,200 is probably the ask as a low end and it's a range. And there's a lot to say about that. But those are like anyone could learn about those two things that, you know, in terms of just citizenry, rising up, being in conversation with lawmakers and to get over whatever fear you have, which I totally understand of writing to them. They're not experts. They need to hear from us. They work for us. Let them know this is your voting issue. That this is like you are voting on behalf of the lake. And it's a really important time to say all those things and say them again and again. Just Mm -hmm. get get their address handy. Get their fax number and
1: fax them incessantly.
2: (laughs) That's interesting. And also to say, it doesn't matter how you do it. Just do it. Make that a habit what individuals can do is not a lot compared to these kind of industrial concerns but but modifying your outdoor water use is very practical and important mm-hmm thinking about eating less meat or eating less meat. And so knowing this alfalfa is not food for people, it's feed for cattle. And that's part of the problem. Mm. So it's a—it's vi- actually a very big part of the problem that most people are uncomfortable talking about. Yeah, And I'm not saying you have to be a vegan. There are a lot of really awesome vegans in this movement, but I'm just a person who eats a lot less meat than she used to. And I think becoming quite conscious about that. We can shift it a long way without it being a binary decision, but it needs to shift a long way. So that third thing that most people won't talk about, I want to dare to say it's a big deal, actually. Yeah. And then this is the one I want to land on because it ties back to what the vigil is and maybe also other things you want to talk about. This is really important because the the session will come and go and we will be disappointed. Yeah, We'll just be disappointed. But if we're engaged, then we're participants and we're doing something useful. But the session's over. Let's say we're disappointed. What can we do every single day outside of the session? We make culture. Everyone who's listening, you all, we're making it right now. Like Culture is made by people. Culture defines our values. Our values determine how we live and our relationship to the lake. So you want to change it? You change it every day by making a lake-facing culture. Mm. Um, Just start talking about the lake and develop your own relationship, your own love, your own way in your own species that you're into. That's not a small thing. That's like the thing that has to actually underpine everything else. Because even if we get the laws right, they won't hold if we haven't made the culture Mm -hmm. that holds it. But what I love that is it means everyone has power. Everyone. Yeah. Something I want to add on
0: to your list is you're talking about, you know, making culture and An entity that I think has done a really good job is the Great Salt Lake Collaborative. Yeah. Just getting the news out. Totally. Great Salt Lake Collaborative. They're working with the Salt Lake Tribune, with Radio West... I see the Desert News. Yeah, it's
2: an amazing coalition.
0: It's really great, and I credit them for the reason why my Uber or Lyft driver will talk to me about the lake. Oh wow, that's great! I used to be the one being tearing my hair out. Yeah, why don't people care? Why aren't people doing anything? And now people know. This is. It's been in the New York Times. It's been on John Oliver. Like people know about the lake, and that's because they're talking about it. So if you Want to support something specific? I think Great Salt Lake Collaborative is an awesome group. If you don't want to support them with money, just read what they're writing. Yeah,
2: they have a terrific website, very easy to follow. Yeah, send their articles around. Like you're right, that's that's a terrific.
0: Yeah, they example. are a gemstone.
2: But yeah, agree, agree. <laughs> that's a good shout out.
0: The first time I saw you, Nan, was in the newspaper for the vigil, oh, yeah. <laughs> and then. When I really connected who you were to the vigil was when I went to the Great Salt Lake Summit this last oh, yeah. summer. Yeah. And I think you opened the summit. Yeah, it did. It was really moving. And right after you, or maybe two speakers after you, was Utah Physicians for Healthy Environment. Yeah, I remember that. And your approach is this emotional artistry. And then another approach, which Utah Physicians for a Healthy Environment yeah. has, is these are the facts. This is how it's going right. to impact us. Right. And I think you've brought such a useful, meaningful thing that we've all really needed, which mm. was this emotional side mm. of grieving what's going on. Because we're going mm. through eco-grief. And yeah. after working with high schoolers, it's like, these kids are grieving and they're anxious. And right. They have all this stuff tied to their environment, all these emotions, like <laughs> the angst that we associated with, you know, our mom doesn't understand us, right. but they're like, the environment isn't good. Like, right. It's sick. And I love that you have mm. brought that to this movement. I think you really mm. have through the vigil and through your art and through the poem and I think I've seen you cry like five times now. And oh, I yeah. love it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thank you for appreciating that. It's definitely
2: one of my special things. <laughs> you will not know me very long before you see me cry. Um, but I appreciate that you called that out because I, I had to be taught, actually, to not apologize for crying by a friend wiser than me. And when I really started this creative work in... in being the focus of my life and these writing circles and so on, like it's very common to cry in a writing circle. And I think I used to apologize and I had a wise friend teach me not to. She was like, it's a gift. This is a gift to each other is to show To allow for the full range of emotion and human experience. You might laugh. You might cry. We don't need to judge that. Yeah. And in fact, like making room for it, what a relief.
1: Yeah. And then you give space for other people to process their emotions. Totally.
0: You are definitely giving that gift to other people. And I hope our listeners take that away if nothing
2: else. (laughs) Yeah. I definitely (laughs) will cry about it. (laughs) And, And there's, in fact, one of the early interviews, Emily, she came out in the first vigil. We were walking to the lake and... She was asking me about the lake, and I explained the things we've explained in the show. And I started crying, and she said, "Why are you crying?" And I was like, "Why isn't everybody?" <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it really was. You space feel field so question. deeply. But it's like I don't think I have to answer why I'm yes. crying. This is, yeah, you know, heartbreak. It's genuinely heartbreaking. And I also love that you mentioned Utah Physicians for a Healthy Environment because I so respect their work in that. That data we need it, and it's it 's very powerful, mm-hmm. but we also need this looking out through the heart, this emotional part yeah, and so we we really need it all and I feel like one of the beautiful things that 's happening in this movement is science and poetry are are walking hand in hand, yeah, and they're they're very friendly as suddenly have like five seven really good friends who are scientists because of this work and I yeah and they're secretly they're also poets. It's the same Listen, we're all Steam Team
3: right? <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. It's all about a quality of attention and a commitment to paying a certain kind of attention. And science is one language and poetry is another, but they're very close. They're yeah. very and they need each other yeah. actually. Yeah, um, I think
0: my goal is to be, as you said, steam team that is s- Science, technology, engineering, arts, and math. Yeah, yes. and like nice. arts, arts Good need <laughs>
1: arts need sciences, and sciences need art. Yeah, and, and they're like we go together.
0: Yeah, we're a steam team. And my yeah. goal is to be right there. I want to be that piece. I want to bridge those things. And if I'm yeah. not the bridge, I just want to be surrounded by everybody who makes up the steam team. Which yeah. is why this Great Salt Lake movement, the environmental movement in Utah, is so powerful and.
1: Yeah, I mean, if you're talking about your visual, you're using vis- uh, visual medium arts. You're using puppetry and yeah. dance and songs and poetry. Yeah. It's incredible. It's all the
2: arts want to be. All there. the
1: arts want to be involved. And really all true. the arts care about the environment. Yeah, it's we care about the world we live in.
2: The lake loves the arts too. Like I didn't, <laughs> I didn't start out singing. I've always liked to sing, but I've never was a I didn't used to be a person who would lead a song, for instance, or sing into a microphone, and now I'm just like <laughs> But that is totally a lake-led wow. thing is being out there. It was just clear that it was important to sing and I was, you know, so I just started doing it. I think that's that relational thing again. It will draw art out of you. Mm. It's art is not for the elite. It's not elite, for fancy the train Don't yeah. wait till you're good. I just like it's wanted. Like it's wanted, yeah. needed. Needs to come from all directions. Yeah, there's definitely a call out. Every voice. Yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah.
2: That's just so great. Now my mind is spinning, and I'm like, <laughs> how do
0: I do drag for the lake?
1: Easy peasy. You show up in drag at the at the Great Salt Lake vigil, <laughs> January. i for it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Five o'clock Sunday through Friday. I come and walk around the Capitol. capital. That's like seriously it's a real invitation.
2: Please come.
1: <laughs> I really love this idea that you. I feel like you're so driven by arts and community and healing through art. So I, I did want to give you a moment to talk about your river writing collective oh, yeah. experience. Yeah. Which is how I got introduced to you.
3: Well,
2: it's where, you know, this whole thing was born of a community that was born of a practice, which is river writing. River writing is a collective generative writing practice, usually done with a table of eight and a facilitator. So it's intimate, Mm -hmm. like nine on Zoom. We used to do a lot more live before pandemic. There's some live happening now, mostly on Zoom. It's importantly, the containers created by making community agreements and, the practice is used in a lot of ways. Uh, Natalie Goldberg, who wrote a book called Writing Down the Bones, is, I think is the American expression of the generative set of timer, keep your pen moving. So that's that's the writing to discover piece. We use poetry because we're bringing in voices beyond our own. So that's a way of transcending place and time is bringing, and also you know bringing in other cultures. Uh, I think poetry is really important. Our uh, prompts from poetry, but it's not about... Understanding poetry really is just like looking for a spark, something that will get you writing. But those agreements, I think, are what make river writing a little bit unique in the writing world. Not every writing circle is anchored by these agreements. So it's a very active thing. The most fundamental one in some ways is agreeing to practice Mm non-judgment. We offer no critique and also no praise that's more challenging for most people, interesting, so the only thing you you have a chance to read, everything's optional, of course, if you want to read to your people, then most people choose to. what we say is thank you, and that is the end of it, Wow, and we really make sure that that is an agreement that's made it's not a rule, it's an agreement, so that like even as you're leaving a river writing circle, it's a confidentiality, also consent. Like you don't just assume you can. Like if you, we were writing together, I wouldn't assume I could talk to you about your writing when this is over. Oh. Um, I might ask permission, and this is all really clearly defined. But of course, you can so, say so no thanks. Really. So, yeah, we're holding true. a lot of
0: space mm-hmm. around the thing. So interesting rules. I would have. Such a, hard Such a hard time not saying, oh, I, I love that line. Walking yeah. walk
2: into our cars. Yeah. Let's talk about this. I love yeah. what you did here. It takes discipline, honestly. And it's the part that people have the most, it's the most challenging to learn, even for me, of course. But it's a beautiful practice because if you think about it, what we're really setting up is we are exiting the culture of comparison. Mm. So we're deciding, and it's not to say it's wrong to praise or you shouldn't praise each other at other times. I'm all about praise, actually. But we're creating a space that is not comparative so we can opt into doing something else. And we're opting into a lot of freedom. So there's this quote from Georgia O'Keeffe. Let me see if I can pull it up. I love it a lot. She (laughs) says, I've already decided for myself that flattery and criticism go down the same drain. Wow. And I'm quite free. Wow. Um, I know. That Whoa. last part always makes me feel tingling.
0: Yeah. It's and like, also, let me say, when you <laughs> said you were pulling it up, she didn't pull it no, up.
1: No, no, pulled from the she brain. She pulled it from <laughs> the, the <brain>. noggin, <laughs> from, the, from the dome. I'm
2: not sure I got it wrong. But that is the <laughs> To paraphrase yeah, George O'Keefe. Okay. Yeah, no. so, so, you know, look at what she did. And I think knowing that example, it's like, oh, it's really illuminating, right? You could actually choose in community, especially small communities, have a lot of opportunity to choose to make different shapes of things. And so like what I learned from river riding and making these choices with groups of people is that we could opt in to creating the kind of space we wanted for a certain thing. And that tells me that we could do this in bigger ways and Mm. more ways. Right. So, you know, you look at all the changes we need to make to replenish the lake and live differently in relation to the lake. It's a lot. It's really daunting. I can feel very overwhelmed, but I do know something about how it's done. Like, it's not like I'm not starting from scratch because I've practiced in community in these writing circles for years now. And I have relationships born of those practices. So when the lake called me to come I was like, yeah, okay. And at first I thought she was just calling me because it's what it felt like. Right. But the very next thing that was happened is I knew to ask for help Mm. and then a community arises. And then the me, I is not important at all. And the we is everything. And suddenly we are doing something radical and different. And we were making a bold choice that looks like what hasn't been done before or recently. Right. So all the stuff we need to do is doable and then add some magic, which I think actually is really essential. Yeah. I agree.
3: Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, that's, I mean, river, I'm talking about river writing such a mystical way. It's a very practical way and to gather and get I words ask? on a page, but it's a lot more to.
1: Where does we... the river come in? Uh, is it, so, is it is, the spirit yeah, of the river? Yeah.
2: So when I first started this, I think it's about 10 years ago now. I was attracted to the name river writing as a metaphor for the river of your experience, yeah. your narrative flow. I totally chose this name metaphorically. And then it, I, I've been tickled, I guess, t- to notice that suddenly I'm doing it on riverbanks all of the time. <laughs> I've been all over the Colorado River Basin with Utah Humanities. I've been on the Jordan River many, many times and on shorelines of riverbanks. I was like, I guess it was a self-fulfilling prophecy, prophecy. Yeah, is how I read it now. That's but great. Not a bad well, and it's either. beautiful
1: too. That you're such a water person to then transfer to the lake. Yeah.
2: Well, I, you know, it just flowed that way. <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> oh
0: man, that's good. You say you've been talking about it in a mystical way, but it's very practical. And I think having a practical setup. Is a perfect way to make magic, and yeah. that 's something we 've talked about in in a different episode if you have a little bit of a parameter and you like set it up and you 're like hey we 're getting together like yeah. we 're setting these things up right i I think about the spells people cast or the seances or you know five women standing in a circle if we're creating these parameters we're creating this magic right. and I think that's what a lot of things started as. I think about the legislative session and I'm like, wow, I wonder if when this started, they're like, okay, well, we want to put these rules together. Let's come together and think about how this is going to go. And of course, time has passed. And now we have these people who are intertwined with the church up on a hill making these decisions and with all these experts coming to their doorstep and some they listen to and some they don't. And it's... Well, and then, you know,
2: there's other forces to like capitalism. <laughs> it's a problem. But, but what you're talking about is super interesting to me because the shape of things really matters. Yeah. So it's like, what if it was a council circle instead of a, you yeah. know, a hierarchical shape? It would be a different experience. Yeah. And that's why river riding happens in a circle. Mm. Um, and the circle is really important. And it's such a sh- sacred shape because we can all hear and see each other equally. Because that possibility is built into the architecture of it, right? So I think the more things we do in circles, whether it's singing, writing, gathering, council, then we're recreating the shape of things. And this is something we can all do. That's the other practical thing about river writing. It's It's not very fancy. I have these agreements. You can link to them. Anyone can use them anytime for any purpose and I've had people follow love with them and take them to their board meeting or their, you know, like if they've gone a lot of places and it's because we want, we actually want a structure that supports our authentic connection. yeah, Right. So, and it needs some structure, but it really needs a certain kind of shape. Yeah. Right. And it's mostly not the shapes we're making in capitalism, but the more we're practiced at it, the more we'll walk into a room. And now I think people that I've been writing with a long time, you know, you go into a room and you think, well, how can I make this more of a circle or canon? Like, you, real, you realize you can wield some influence in almost any room. Like, yeah, I literally yeah. move the furniture all the time. Yeah. Right? But it's not so hard to move the furniture. Yeah. Just because it's there doesn't mean we can't move it. Yeah. Right? Wow. I would say the other thing, there's seven agreements, but i only highlight one more because I think it's the one that's most, um, pulls into the lake work and also the lake-facing culture is that we practice listening with undivided attention. Mm-hmm. So in river writing, we actually commit that to each other. And also the structure supports it because we're not commenting, we don't have to decide what to say, right? So if you're reading in a river writing circle, I have all of my attention available to receive what you're reading mm-hmm. and that's uncommon. So that's, that's a structural choice. Oh, I wish that was how academic <laughs> I, know, <right? laughs> I wish it's how a lot of things were, yeah. but but what it means is a whole bunch of people of them practicing this, They are now practiced listeners and they're practiced at bringing their undivided attention. So if we go to listen to the lake, we can listen with that Mm -hmm. practice underneath us. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it's different. Mm -hmm. There's a different quality that's available because it's practice. Yeah. So I think it's also really important to say the fact that it's a practice means it's never perfect and we're not trying for that. It's a practice, not a perfect. (laughs) Right, right. (laughs) And it also means we have a lot of chances because if you don't like how it went, you just show up and you do it again. You just do it again. Right? Which is how we will change how we're living overall yeah. it's by practicing right? certain things. So we'll practice replenishing the waters. We'll practice writing to her, yeah. you know, communicating we'll practice with Practice each other. showing up. We'll practice writing to our lawmaker mm. and calling them. Yeah. And Why you might practice? not like how you do it the first time. Is you do it again? Do it again. Do it again, do it again tomorrow. Do it again. Wait. Do it again. You'll sound better tomorrow. Yeah, right. And
0: practice listening. I like that a lot yeah. as somebody who's pretty severely ADHD, but nobody knew it because I didn't, fuss a lot I just my mind went elsewhere
2: I also have that I shared that diagnosis and um but I didn't I didn't actually get diagnosed until I was 51 oh and my daughter who was diagnosed was like hey mom you know this runs in family she said it so gently oh. and she's not actually normally very gentle so I was like that's interesting <laughs> and, um, and then it was interesting to get a diagnosis but I realized this is after I would started river riding and I was like oh it's so interesting the person who diagnosed me she said well you have great compensatory skills and I thought, well, that makes sense because my whole life I've been actually building structures to support my attention. Yeah. yeah. And I'm, I'm not sorry about how my mind works. I wouldn't trade it, but it is interesting. I do notice how it rubs against modern life all the time and I still wouldn't change it. I think the way it works is actually essential to the work I'm doing. Yeah. Absolutely. Right? Yeah.
1: And it's such a benefit.
2: It's interesting too what we call neurodivergence because we're actually kind of labeling it's it Di- feels different like different ways you, of thinking, right? Like yeah. they are actually, of course, we're divergent. Well, and also Everything it feels like, is, right?
1: like it feels like anyone who's not, if you don't fit that certain mindset, who's who's the nor- who's the quote unquote normal person?
2: So yeah, so the framing of the question is poor, right? Yeah. So I think really that the language kind of fails us, and the frame kind of fails us. But what might be important to notice is what is available to me in the workings of my mind, what is available to help make the world I want to make. Mm-hmm. And that's an interesting way to think about yeah. your own mind. And, and it might be just where it rubs against the machine. Yeah. So it might be the pain points. And like I'm very uncomfortable because I always suffer at this juncture of modern life and my thinking and it's like oh well, there might be something there because that might be what needs to change and how we're living yeah and you're the person to change it because you feel it
1: and, and this right? is rubbing away because yeah. it means because now you need to make a change
2: yeah and so maybe you know so i think this idea of like structural change it's almost like knowing that you have power and that if you're what's called neurodivergent, you might know something about that, you know, that other people might not mm-hmm. know. Yeah.
0: And you yeah. can relate yeah. to other. those well, people. Well, like are
2: we have all different teacher. geniuses, like the birds. It mm-hmm. goes back to that. Yeah. It really does, actually. And your, your genius is very needed because it really, Jamie is the person I took this from, but she's like, it's an all hands on deck situation. Yeah. Not just the lake, but like yeah. the whole life, right? But yeah. the lake really teaches everything that you need to know about it. It's like, well, okay everybody's needed here. This is, there's no one person that's going to save it. There's no one thing. This is about, and there's no one approach, whether it's Utah physicians right. or,
0: you know, right. crying in front of the crowd. Exactly.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad that you value that. That's a, that's a heartwarming thing. <laughs> Great. I can do that. I, <laughs> I will sleep. do it again. Yeah. And I will. <laughs>
1: right. I am actually really curious about you're a poet-in-residence at
2: Antelope Island? <laughs> yeah. Well, Utah Humanities generously <laughs> called me that after I moved there. Oh. You know, basically. Okay. So, you know, when I moved there for the first vigil and so they I suppose you're it. in residence. Yeah. They were like, well, you're the you're poet-in-residence poet. at Antelope Island. So, like, by the... I am not living there now. Loose us. Uh, wait. Yeah.
0: Can I clarify something? Yeah. Living?
2: Just for the legislative session for the vigil, yeah. you were living yeah. there. Okay. Yeah. So, I lived on the island seven weeks the first year of so weeks, you were a like, poet yeah. residing. And I was residing. Okay, so not an yeah. official okay. title. So I was going so to yeah. so say, I'm
1: like, oh, how interesting to have that position at the lake, and why do we need that? And wow,
2: well, it's interesting. It was interesting because a lot of times I was the only person in residence. Mm-hmm. you know, there actually for miles around, other than the yeah. rangers that lived there. So I was a poet among the bison and the uh, ravens, and that wasn't shabby. Um, <laughs> <laughs> a poet among
1: nature's poetry.
2: Yeah. I, I I did like that i didn't make it up actually i grabbed that one so like, i was like yes, yes i am the the president. President. Yeah, love i love that yeah. i love
0: that this
1: you might not have any information on we just are interested in your thoughts okay they're building a visitor center right on antelope
2: island oh. I do you have thoughts <laughs> <laughs> let,
0: let me ask this question okay <laughs> This came up because it was like, oh, you're the poet in residence at Antelope Island. And what else is happening at Antelope Island? They're at least planning, I don't know if they have started building this visitor center. And a number of birders are really concerned about this visitor center because they don't want this to turn into a tourist attraction. They don't want it to be a place that's loved to death. Mm-hmm. I think they're planning on having a little theater inside. And when I first heard it, I was like, "Oh, that's really great!" Because education is important, and getting people out to the lake is important.
2: But there's a ton of concern around it. Yeah, let's hear your thoughts. Well, I, sh- I share your friend's objections because I don't think that theater is little. Like, what I have heard is that it's an IMAX theater.
1: Oh, holy um, shit.
2: oh, so and it's not. No so it's, such thing as a little. It's IMAX not like theater. a
1: stage theater for. Oh, I'm afraid not.
2: No, so it's somebody's project I, I have seen some drawings where i was like okay this isn't the worst thing that I think. I think there's part of the development or at least the proposed development is meant to actually have scientists in residence and researchers there and i, I think if that was what was happening and there wasn't an imax theater i would have a different feeling than i have yeah. with any i mean the idea of an imax theater in antelope island i think <laughs> is preposterous it, yeah. it
1: seems visually preposterous the idea of looking out at that desert at that lake and a huge 30, 50 foot
2: screen. Well, and also the experience that's being invited as you go in, and, you know, watch something on the screen and, and yeah. then you and drive away. Like I guarantee you that that is how it will get utilized by a lot of folks who don't have a friend to invite them to know where to walk and how to, because I don't, yeah. I'm not saying it's. Even now it doesn't feel tremendously accessible you need a little information you could go out there and be stunned by the beauty anyone can go out there and do that and mm-hmm. but you do all you know you do have a transportation issue you have the park fee so there's already accessibility issues it's not next door for most folks but then it's like okay if you want to improve it then improve the accessibility don't build a big dark room to put people in yeah, yeah. it also will probably be more expensive I, I don't know I think a lot about. When
0: I was a kid and we went there for field trips, and if you're going to take kids there, you're going to take them to the theater because that's the easiest way to manage kids. Is
1: to put them in a dark room. And yeah, yeah,
0: people driving out there and experiencing that theater instead of going out and just driving around being like, well,
2: this is kind of weird. (laughs) I think it's very disappointing. I'm prepared to be devastated, quite honestly, as it changes I'm very attached to how it is. They even put three little cabins out there and there's reasons that that might make sense. But even that much structure, what has been so lovely is the lack of structure, the lack of human build. Mm -hmm. And then you have these big vistas and there's nothing in the way. And you can be, you're actually very close to Syracuse, but the way the land is built, you can feel like you're so far away. And so it's been beautiful that way and i just hope it doesn't change too much
0: one of my favorite hikes is Fairy peak and on most of the hike you look around and you don't see a road you don't see a building you yeah. don't see anything and that's wild because it's not like you're in the mountains and you're in thick foliage right. you're in this this landscape that is
2: <laughs> it's open is what it's it is open. because there also aren't very many big trees there's only a few trees on the one side mm-hmm. So these vistas are like remarkably open. And so your experience of being with the lake is tremendous. And then this open sky that has so many bird possibilities. Right. And then yeah. also the beauty of it. If you go out there, you, when you're on Buffalo point looking towards Frere, you can easily read these four different epics of shorelines. Right. And they're very legible. And then, what you can also see is the only Frairy. The top of it was the only part at some point that wasn't totally underwater. Yeah, and so, when you look so at the cool. whole island, you can see the wave made world. Wow! And it's very readable because it doesn't have built human built world on top of it. So it's, it's like such a cool per- place. Yeah, it's it's very special. So yeah, I have had almost had my head in the sand over <laughs> okay. like I haven't gone looking for the details because I feel so much dread about yeah. what might be developing. But I feel that about, you know, almost everything. <laughs> <laughs> to be counted. Now you're just trying to make me cry. It's, That's it's, why you asked ask much again. It's so endearing to see it's you It's really
1: cry. Um, And <laughs> it makes me feel
0: happy in a weird way. I know, right? Something I want to add to our list of what people can do is go visit the lake. Mm. Absolutely. Not Absolutely. a lot of people do it. And look up when the bugs are going to be really intense because that can make you pretty miserable. But... There are so many different spots on the lake to go, and oh man, you're missing out if you live nearby and you haven't visited it a few times.
2: Yeah, just to say, um, for listeners that are in the Salt Lake Valley, the Great Salt Lake Marina is really a wonderful point to visit, and it's pretty accessible, relatively. So, you know, 10 more minutes past the airport, $5 entry fee, Mm -hmm. there you are, and even when the water has receded, it's a deeper point, and you can get to the water more easily, and really, the the bugs are serious. Sometime about early May, until it gets to this, I, Jamie taught me this three ninety degree days in a row, and then it's mm. over. Yeah. So when it gets hot, then it's over. But yeah. you know, it's kind all the winter, season, like this is a great time to go. Yeah. A beautiful day in the winter is mm-hmm. a great time yeah. to go. And that's
0: a uh, great Salt Lake State Park. Where that's what I mentioned. Yes, yeah, that what I was just talking and about. And they have what is it called the. Salt forms these living crystals, and they're really cool. They're kind of weird. Halite uh, crystals? Is that what they mean? Yeah. Shit, I can't remember the <laughs> name. Heyo, this is Georgie from the future telling you that those crystals, those salt crystals, are marabolites and that they are marabolite mounds. They're actually really cool. Research are particularly interested in these mirabilite mounds because they may serve as an analogous to similar features and conditions on Mars. What mirabilite mounds are rare and have never before been documented at Great Salt Lake? I think that was 2020 when that was published. They have only been found at a few locations around the world, primarily in the Arctic. Geologists have determined that the mirabilite is precipitating from warm, high salinity sulfite-rich springs, visible only when the lake levels fall below an elevation of 4,194 feet. Oddly specific. If you're interested in visiting Great Salt Lake State Park and seeing Mirabilite Formation, You can do that. You can do that in January during the winter and a ranger will take you on a tour. It only happens when there are specific conditions, so it might not happen every year. This is currently 2024, so maybe in 2025 they won't be there. Maybe the lake level will actually rise. That would be great. But it's a unique opportunity to walk along Silver Sands Beach with a park ranger and hear all about these formations, It's $3 a person, but $5 per vehicle to get into the park, and dogs are welcome. It's about a 45-minute walk, so you should definitely go check it out. I did in the past once, and it was really cool. And now, back to Nan.
2: It's great. You can walk around and wear boots. Just always wear boots. And sing a song. (laughs) (laughs) songs. And then just past, actually, if you don't want to do the state park fee. You can keep going down the same road another mile and you can be to a little parking where you can walk to something called Black Rock. Black Rock is a really amazing, the water isn't as close, but it's a very beautiful, obvious, huge Black Rock. So when you see, you can see it from a distance and you can have a mm-hmm. destination and there's always a lot of birds around there. That's another, yeah. just kind of amazing place also, to stop. Also,
0: before Great Salt Lake State Park is the Saltair.
2: Yeah, another easy place to park, yeah. and, walk. Um, um... and that
0: has its own really cool history. But now it's just kind of a big building that houses concerts you there's know, already it, a big building out a, there a,
2: an airplane it's an f- airplane hangar repurposed which made me like oh. it a little i used to think of it as like um, a 70s mall with onion domes which is another way you could describe it it's like a little bit of a tribute to the former glorious <laughs> yeah. salter that had onion domes but they're not quite pulling it off yeah. But once i learned it was a repurposed airplane hanger i was like that's that's H- pretty cool kind of cool it's not beautiful, but, but it's kind of I, I cool. appreciate
1: the recycled nature. Yeah, it's,
2: it's it's um unique, we can definitely say it's a yeah. unique place. And it's not a bad place to get to the water actually. It's a longer walk, but that's cool too. You gotta be a little bit thoughtful about these conditions change all the time, but yeah. you can get in kind of quick sandy mm. situations, but you know, have boots, be sensible. Wear sunscreen. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Stay hydrated. <laughs>
0: <laughs> More in nature, after all. <laughs> Well, did you have more questions?
1: No, I think that wraps up everything I have. Cool. Do you have any lingering thoughts you'd like to get off your chest? Any, any additional tears mm. ready to come
2: out? I'll just say the nature of this crisis is relational and I'm glad we talked a lot about that because again, that means everyone can do something about it. Like you can, it makes can, me
1: feel so much more hopeful right? that I can do something.
2: Yeah. I'll give this invitation too, because this has been ongoing and I think it will keep happening on both sides of the vigil. We have a a 7am meditation on zoom on behalf of imperiled waters. Mm. And it's just a group of people who did it with me during the vigil and just didn't want to stop. So every Monday through Friday, 7am on zoom, little intro, little dedication to imperiled waters worldwide, but especially facing Great Salt Lake for those of us here. And then 20 minutes of silence. And that's something, you know, people can do from home in pajamas, you might want to just try it during the legislative session. And I think that that silent offering is really profound as well. Whatever you're drawn to, whoever is listening, like you, if you felt an impulse during this conversation, like I might be able to, yes, that, do that. You have something for this. You have something Whatever. to offer. You totally do. And your offering matters and it's needed because... This is going to take a colossal we to change. And so your part of it is essential. It's not a pass by. So if you felt an impulse, whether it's to come dress up like a brine shrimp or to sit in meditation or to write a legislator, you know, just do it, do it and and invite some friends to do it with you. And thank you for caring enough to consider it. Yeah. Yeah.
0: This is a good time for you to tell us where can people find information online about how to get involved with the vigil Maybe the River Riding
2: Collective Collective? Yeah, we call it the River Riding Collective. So there's two websites that are pretty easy. One is my name, nanseymour.com, is where you'll find all things Vigil. It's very front and center. So if you get to nanseymour.com, just follow the brine Shrimp and you'll get in there. <laughs> you'll, get an inf- you'll get all the information you might need. You'll get a scheduler to put yourself on. Create your own Vigil one day, two days, all the days, whatever, we'll be really glad to see you. And then Riverwriting.com, writing with a T, with a pen, Riverwriting.com, all things riverwriting are there, including some writing opportunities at the lake. So those are the two places Very to cool. go. Any social media handles? I use Instagram more than I wish I did, but it's been really useful in the vigil. So nan underscore You'll get vigil updates there. And then I participate with Save Our Great Salt Lake and help with their social media. And I like that coalition a lot because it's really broad and lifting up efforts from all directions. It's such an incredible group. It is. Really good things have happened with Save Our Great Salt Lake. So. Any involved in that, and then river writing A collective has its own Insta, so yeah, all things Instagram, no things Facebook. That's where we where I am. Cool. Yeah, uh, don't know how to Twitter. I'm scared. Well, you would be. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm on Substack. I'm, so like some of these poems, beloved water body is my Substack, and that's yeah. kind of new. Those are very lake facing poems, and so mm-hmm. if you were mostly interested in the poetry. That's the place to go for that. Cool. Yeah.
0: Great. We will link all of those in the show notes. Perfect. Cool. Thank you. Yeah. It's been so cool. really fun to talk to you too. Yeah. Likewise. Yeah. You're Thank
1: so you. full of energy. <laughs>
0: it, just, it just like um, revitalizes These me. topics, they yeah. light me up. Yeah. I feel like we, we could just keep talking all night okay. long. Yeah. I want <laughs> <laughs> I, right? I get like that too. <laughs> but maybe that just means we need to talk again in fun. the future. Anytime. So, yeah.
2: Cool. I'm delighted to know you. Yeah. Yeah. It was great. Yeah. Thanks. Thank you.
0: Thanks. Well thanks so much for coming on. And it
2: was a pleasure.
1: Thank you to A.J. Vansbin, who did our introduction music. And as Georgie's dad always says, be clever and use your head.
0: <laughs> use your head and be clever. <laughs> bye everybody.
3: <laughs> Say goodbye. Bye. Bye. <laughs>